up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. Happy Thursday, January 17th. This is the, oh, it's not the Pick 6 Podcast. This is the Brady Quinn Football Show! I feel bad for anybody. My apologies to anybody who listens to this on your early morning commute. You're trying to enjoy your coffee. You're like, ah, get to hear Brinson's dulcet, gravelly, smoker cough tones. And then all of a sudden, you're blasted. You're blasted with a, you know, like you at the club, man, club dub, club, whatever the heck's been going on in the Saints locker room after their win. We got a, got a glimpse of apparently they've been having a club going on in their place too. Uh, they have. I like that. Uh, ski mask, all kinds of stuff happening. New Orleans, not surprising. Um, do, uh, uh, I don't know what I was about to ask you. Um, oh yeah, you know what? People, <laughs> I know, I know. People, people, this doesn't happen to you because you're a, you know, your, your picture's been plastered on the walls of Tijuana flats, Tijuana fats or whatever it is, uh, everywhere. We had a, I had a podcast listener was at a bar and sent me a picture of Brady from the bar. It's not a bad picture. Just a, uh, well, oh, first off, oh, oh. Tijuana Flats doesn't have a bar. They yeah. don't have a bar. Okay. Uh, they ha- they can serve alcohol there, but let's not confuse it for what it is. It is a very nice, clean uh, Mexican joint. They have good food there, some uh, good burritos, good tacos, and salsa and all that good stuff. And, uh, yeah, uh, that, that's pretty much it. I did frequent there every once in a while. Haven't been back in quite some time, though. I think they have those in North – like, I think there's one up the road from my house. I don't think – it's not like a just – Wherever the hell in Ohio it is, right? Or is it Notre Dame? I mean, like, I, I say, I think it's a chain, right? Uh, it is a chain. Okay. It is a chain. I'm, I don't know that it's made its way all the way up to the Midwest, which is really, that's more of the proving ground. Like, typically, if you're a fast food chain, at some point, you, uh, you started up in the Midwest and you saw if that demographic of people ended up eating your food. And if it did, you're most, probably wildly successful. <laughs> uh, wait, where was this Tijuana Flats in question? Just for the record, people, uh, so somebody DM me was like, I was at this bar. And there's a picture of Brady on the wall. Just thought you'd want to see it. And I was like, oh, I like opened up my phone. And I was like, please be a wasted Brady Quinn, like ripping tequila shots out of like a, like a shot ski or something like that. And no, it's just Brady, you know, in a, in, you know, like a early 2000s. Like a beanie. Yeah. Like, a, like, I don't know what the hell you were wearing, but I mean, it was, uh, but you, you know, you look, you just look like, a, co- yeah. It was cold out, man. I had a beanie on. Don't you're going to, you're going to get upset about me wearing a beanie. Uh, I'm not, uh, we call them toboggans here in, uh, North Carolina. Uh, you know what? I call it a toboggan too, but then someone was trying to say, like, isn't that like a sled or something you ride on? I'm yeah. like, can it be both? I mean, I don't, why, right. why don't we have to argue about this? Right. You, you won't believe who argued with me about that. Prisco and Nick Costas. They're like, why do you get it? You can't call it a toboggan. What are you, you, you freaking crazy? You can't. It's like, guys, you know what? Just, uh, you're just, you're just ruining everything for everybody. So be quiet. Uh, my point. That's, that's the least, that's the least surprising thing by the, by, by the way, that Prisco and Costas would argue about it. But look, the, the whole discussion about this is about tacos. Okay. That's what I was doing. I was eating tacos. The guy asked me to take a photo <laughs> with them. I said, okay. I love tacos. I read a book, uh, to my daughter about dragons loving tacos. And even better, you know who else loves tacos? I think the head coach of the New York Jets, Adam Gates. I think he loves tacos too. <laughs> Yeah, I love you. You're good at this, Brady. You brought it right back full circle. I got to for those that don't know, if you haven't seen it yet, I I spent like the morning texting my wife about this. I, I, when the video, somebody, there's this video of Adam Gase's press conference, locking for JLC and I talked about it on, on Wednesday. It was wild. It was weird. Felt like he was on some sort of, 
um, you know, gas station amphetamines or something like that, or just like a bunch of Red Bull. I don't know. Maybe just, or, or maybe just a bunch of coffee. Who, who the hell knows? Either way, he's, he goes in there and he sits down with Mike McCagney and he starts just, his eyes are wandering everywhere and his head's doing weird things. He's looking all over the place and somebody goes in and pl- puts the Titanic music behind it and then has a taco floating around on the video and Adam Gay's following it. And I swear to God, Brady, I mean, like, I'm a dumb idiot. I get it. I've watched that video 450 times and I laugh every time. It's, it's almost like, I don't know. It's one of those things that's so stupid to watch, like watching a dog chase, chase its tail. But for some reason, it's entertaining. Like, you're like, ah, I don't know. It's kind of fun to watch. Let's see if he ever gets it. Ah, I don't think you will. <laughs> uh, it, it's kind of like that. It, it's kind of like that watching it. And look, I got to be honest, I was in a quarterback room with Adam Gase for a season. He coached wide receivers the year before that. I've always been close with Goose. And I've never noticed him having like those darting eyes. It was very odd uh, to be to be blunt. I, I was taken back by it. I wasn't sure what was going on. I was thinking to myself, is this normal when he's got a hat on? I didn't know if like the way the team meeting room is. And I've been to the Jets facility. I was there for half a season. I don't know if he was just um, like overcome by how many people were in the room. So. Maybe he wanted to make sure he made eye contact with everyone at one point in time, <laughs> or maybe there actually was a dancing taco. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, look, I don't, I don't know. Maybe he's, maybe he's got some allergy prescription that he took that gave him a reaction where he saw tacos. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. It just, it was a very weird press conference. I did think when you watch it, even without the taco and the music, you can see Mike McCagnan at one point kind of looks at him like. Ah, uh, ah, uh, no, 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 not the dancing taco again. Come on, come on, no, 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 you promised no dancing tacos at the <laughs> press conference! Um, it, it did seem, it, it, I just can't get over it. It was the weirdest thing. It's one of the weirder press conferences I've ever seen. What, what's, what's, a, what's, what's weirder for you as somebody who, like if you're a Jets fan or somebody trying to figure out whether or not this is going to work out, what's more concerning? Um, Adam Gase, Darting all over the place in that press conference, doing weird things like after answering questions like "I'm just, you know, just trying to win," and then like rolling his eyes like like Jay Cutler on steroids into the back of his head, or Ben McAdoo wearing a suit that's twelve sizes too big. Well, the, the whole suits on coaches that uh, it doesn't really fit properly; it doesn't look quite right. I mean, you could you could talk about Ben McAdoo, you can talk about Freddie Kitchens, who uh, just didn't look comfortable at all and wore a baseball cap with a tie. It's never a great look. Uh, and then and for really Adam Gates, I thought besides his eyes, you know, following the taco, or maybe just uh, again making intimate eye contact with all the media members there who were present, uh, he had a fat knot for, for to have a tie like that. I don't know who tied that knot for, him, but man. That thing was serious. That thing had a, a lot of width to it, a lot of girth to it. You don't see too many coaches tie a tie knot that that's going to be that big. He really went all in with a big tie knot. So that was uh, that was actually what stood out to me. But another guy who probably won't wear a suit again uh, for quite some time. I, I know uh, Mike Flora wrote about it. I think he was you know bloviating about not you know having these guys have to be in suits because what's the point. I'm kind of actually with him on that one, sure. even though I, I took it for clickbait and I actually read the article. I, I do agree. Like, it probably doesn't make sense for these guys to wear a suit. It's not required. They almost never do it anymore. Uh, and, it, and it just it actually doesn't even look like they're as professional as they would look with, like, a cap, a whistle, and their team's mm. uh, apparel on. Like, that would probably look more like their uniform for what their job entails and what they're doing. You, you know who I think fits this theory, and I think you'll like this because it hits home for you. 
Mike Bray, the Notre Dame basketball coach. He, I think he always want, he always hated ties. Um, so he went with that stupid mock turtleneck forever and it looked terrible. And finally one day his kids told him, they're like, dad, look, we, we got to sit you down and be honest with you about something. He's like, Oh God, what is it? They're like, well, it's this turtleneck. You look like a moron. He's like, Oh, <laughs> okay. They're like, why don't you just wear a blazer with no tie? But he's like, oh, that that makes sense. And he started doing it, and he started winning. Now he wins. He wins big because he switched and he's comfortable. And so I think I think you're right. Like Adam Gay should have showed up with, uh, I mean, maybe not a Jets pullover, but he could have gone. He could have gone, you know, like a business casual. He could have gone a uh, uh, blazer and, and no tie, right? I mean, that'd be fine. I mean, just show up in uh, or show up in sweatpants or a jumper. It's jumpsuit January. Why not? I'm personally a huge fan of the walking suit. I know that a lot of people probably don't know what that is, but here's what it, it boils down to. It's essentially a pair of, and in this case, let's say linen because it breathes a little bit more. Sure. Mostly offensive linemen, D linemen used to wear this, but uh, they would get these tailored walking suits, as they call them. And it's like linen sort of looking dress pants with essentially a long sleeve button-down shirt that match the pants, they're identical. Mm. So it was just like one long piece of linen, almost like linen bed sheets, but it just had like a button-down shirt and what looked to be dress pants with some, with some loafers. And like people used to call that a walking suit. Guys would wear it all the time on the team plans, all that. No tie involved, but it looked close enough to like business attire that <laughs> it kind of fit the uh, requirement that most teams had for their players wearing suits when they're traveling. I think that I feel like I've seen Andy Reid in a in a in a walking suit before. I need to go back and look at Andy Reid's introductory press conference in 2013. Did he wear a Hawaiian shirt? Because I feel like he might have. I mean, he comes to these coaches meetings. Yeah, but I'm with you. I'm, I, I'm with you here. I, I agree. It is like insane. Like throw on a suit once, you know, once in your career, every time you get hired is not a huge deal. Um, but hey, you know what? Why not just, uh, you know, why not let them be comfortable and let them speak with the media in the way that they're going to speak with the media after every game and every practice. Anyway, uh, that's can, it. Can, yeah. can, can we close out just on this sentiment sure. though? Yeah. Hawaiian shirts, they get a bad rap. They do. I think they look very welcoming, you know, <laughs> like they, they seem very inviting. Typically they light up the room and they make people happy when they see them. I don't know why Hawaiian shirts aren't more widely accepted in the office space uh, to be considered business attire. We've got uh, one of our, like, I don't know if it's a BA or what exactly his title is, but Ryan Stryker, he wore one the other day down in our studios there in uh, off Cypress Creek in Pompano. And I got to tell you, it brought a smile to my face and it, and it really led to a warm conversation. So I just want to say to all the listeners out there, don't be afraid to buy some Hawaiian shirts and don't be afraid to wear them into work. I think it makes everyone, everyone's day a little bit brighter. Hawaiian shirt Wednesday. We should do that on CBS Sports HQ. You can watch Brady on CBS Sports HQ all the time, basically 24-7. The, the network is certainly 24-7. CBSSports.com slash live. Real sports news for real sports fans. There will be plenty of talk on CBS Sports HQ, Brady, about Antonio Brown. And I don't know if you saw this because you also do a, a three-hour radio show multiple times per week, and as soon as you're done with the radio show, you hop on and do a podcast with me. It speaks volumes to your character that you deal with it all, uh, but also, you know, I mean, I guess they pay you for it. Who knows? Um, at any rate, you may have missed this in all your busy work. Antonio Brown, currently, as we're talking, tweeting through it. Uh, right now, someone said, uh, so did you hear what Bruce Arian said about Antonio Brown? This isn't the Antonio that we drafted in I two, did. 2010. Uh, somebody added Antonio Brown with that quote because that's how Twitter works. It's full of narcs who like to do that. And Antonio Brown quote tweeted him 20 minutes ago as we're recording this and said, he didn't draft me. 
He drafted Emmanuel Sanders, the same guy who missed rehab to go on networks to talk about me on situation he has zero clue, exclamation point. Arians now wears kangaroo hats and glasses, kangaroo hats, I guess, uh, laughing, crying laughing emojis, but I'm the diva. Done seen it all, then they say we friends, stop lying. Wow. What do you think about Antonio Brown tweeting, tweeting right through the end of his Steelers career? <laughs> that's, that's one way to put it. I, I really felt like this is a relationship that maybe could have been mended or repaired, but it's starting to not look like that. Now, him having a beef with Bruce Arians, it's irrelevant because Bruce is now the head coach for the Tampa Bay Bucks. That just means there's potentially two less teams he's going to play for now. Uh, maybe the Steelers as well as the Bucks. But look, the Steelers still have control of his contract, and and they're not going to trade him unless they get field you know field a, a certain offer. So Antonio Brown's going to have to essentially do this and put off this public persona that he doesn't want to be there in Pittsburgh and, and make things so bad that you know look maybe they're willing to go without him for a season and think about it. I mean, Le'Veon Bell tried to call the Steelers bluff, sat out the entire year. He'll now most likely hit free agency, and and so I think because of Le'Veon Bell, it's now led to Antonio Brown and his disgruntlement with the organization to say, all right, maybe I can do this. Maybe I can throw a fit and basically, um, you know, be unhappy and act like I don't want to be there, and and I can go somewhere else if I want to. So uh, maybe Le'Veon Bell and his situation kind of led to Antonio Brown thinking he could do the same thing, and that's this is the beginning stages of that. Uh, I, I just I think overall, I, I'm not sure why he's taking this approach. I don't know what situation he thinks he's going to find himself in that's going to be better than the current one he's at. This is a team that can potentially compete for a Super Bowl. He's got a future Hall of Fame quarterback in Ben Roethlisberger. I'm not sure where this fracture occurred or where it happened, but the bottom line is the grass isn't always greener. All right, so expound on that a little bit, the Le'Veon Bell thing. I mean, like as a – I mean, I guess a couple of different perspectives I'm curious about. One, you know, if you're Antonio Brown, you're like, well, look, I mean, Le'Veon threw a huge hissy fit – Sat out the whole season. He's going to get to go free into the open market. Like if I do, if I, I'm just going to do what I want. Uh, I mean, like from Antonio Brown's perspective, is that what you're thinking? And then from Ben Roethlisberger's perspective, are you like, hey guys, what what the hell? And then from Mike Tomlin's perspective, are you like, ah, uh, this is not good for me? I mean, like, like who's where's all this? Where's all this landing? I mean, whose shoulders is it on? And and what are you thinking if you're if you're any of those guys? Well, the Lady on Bell scenario, I, I think, is entirely different in the sense that. You know, he felt disrespected because of his situation where there wasn't a long-term deal offered to him that met what he believed to be the floor for the negotiations because of the franchise tag, you know, that he was going to potentially play under for multiple years. Uh, so, look, you could be on either side of, of the fence on that one, but what I think it led to was this, this greater sense that, you know, Le'Veon Bell wasn't going to come back purely because of the environment, because of his teammates, uh, because of any sort of sense of loyalty to Ben Roethlisberger or the Rooney family or Mike Tomlin, and, and me made a business decision. And I, I think it led to other players in that locker room who maybe felt the same disgruntlement, whether it was about their contract, what they're being compensated, how they're being used, or anything else. Um, it then it, it kind of is contagious and it breeds that into the locker room. So I, I think that maybe kind of gave way for Antonio Brown to say, you know what, uh, Le'Veon Bell's not here. And, you know, he was able to kind of sit out again. He kind of had to, in order to protect himself from taking any further abuse or wear and tear in hopes of maximizing on the free agent market this year. But in, in the case of Antonio Brown, maybe he's saying to himself, I want to change the scenery too. I'm tired of dealing with what we've been dealing with. I think that, you know, there's a better opportunity out there to go with another organization and start over. 
And so maybe the thought and, and just being in a locker room without Le'Veon Bell, a guy who was his teammate and probably friend uh, before this year, uh, probably led to that thinking creeping into his mind as well. So I, I don't know that it's really good for anyone because, again, all, all, all the parties involved, I mean, even though the Steelers still have Juju Smith-Schuster, James Washington, some other pieces, James Conner's been you know great this year, and then they're going to move on. I still look at it for Antonio Brown and say, I don't know what situation he's going to walk into and be better. Like if he wants to go to the 49ers, a lot of people have talked about that. Okay. Uh, hopefully Jimmy Garoppolo can stay healthy. <laughs> and uh, outside of that, uh, you're playing in a division where you've got, I would say two teams right now that are better than you. So you're playing for third place at this point with the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, so, it, I mean, it's not a knock on the 49ers, by the way, I have a lot of respect for Kyle Shanahan. I just, I look at it and think if that's where you want to go. Okay. But you're going to be making less money because the state income tax there and San Francisco mm. and how that all works. Uh, and then you're going to be going to a team that's competing for third place uh, compared to a team that's been, you know, competing for first place in the AFC North and potentially a spot at going to the AFC championship game. And by the way, if you want to play the state income tax angle, if you play for the 49ers or the Rams, you play four games, uh, right? No, is that right? no, two games. Excuse me. You, you like, like, like you might get, you don't get an extra game out of state. Well, you get, you get, Two games a year in right, California. Right. I mean, you're you're playing eight eight at home, obviously. Yeah, nine and games. And you're playing in an additional yeah. at least yeah at least one you're playing that you know of against your divisional opponent in in the state of California. And I mean, it does seem like Antonio Brown might not care about who he plays for and how many games that team wins. I do think if you uh, reference the fact that he has to, <laughs> he loses money doing it, he might he might change his mind. Um, it's wild though. I I I think he has to be traded at this point, right? I mean, don't you? If you're Ben Roethlisberger, don't you want him gone? I mean, do you want him to come back? What do you mean? What do you want as the quarterback of that team? Uh, I mean, he's talented enough a player where you could deal with some of his character flaws uh, if you can just keep it under wraps. So I, I don't want necessarily want him gone just because what he's tweeting. Who cares? Why are we giving Twitter so much power? Why why are we allowing what people say in a nameless, faceless deal to matter so much? I, I personally, you know, feel like this could all be you know mended and solved still regardless of what we want to perpetuate on a social media platform. I just, I think that stuff's for the birds. So <laughs> it's, is that a, is that a joke? That was a joke, right? Yeah, it was a pun. Okay. Okay. It was a good Twitter a pun. Tweet. That's a good, yeah, tweet, a good tweet, Twitter yeah. pun. Uh, all right. We're going to take a very quick break and then we will uh, come back and talk about these matchups in the uh, conference championship games. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. All right, so is there any other news you wanted to cover? Did I forget anything, Brady? Did I? Sometimes I forget Um... stuff. Well, I mean, it depends on when we get to Kyler Murray and, and that whole yes, situation. That, if you want to wait till after the games or before? No, let's talk about Kyler Murray right now. That is actually fun fact. That is the second time this week that I've forgotten to. I've forgotten I wanted to talk about Kyler Murray. Do you think that Kyler Murray is doing the right thing, even though we don't know what he's doing yet? Because I still think he might go play baseball and he might just be bluffing this baseball team into giving him more money. I, I think if the, if he wanted to do that, the baseball team, meaning the Oakland Athletics, should have pointed it up already because now you're really going down the road of him testing the waters of going to the NFL. And I think because of this quarterback draft class and a lot of the question marks about pretty much everyone else, uh, 
maybe even including Dwayne Haskins, considering he only started one year and there's some people who have certain thoughts on him, but it, it's, it's potentially Dwayne Haskins and Kyler Murray. You're looking at it as your first two quarterbacks taken. And I got to be honest with you, no one's going to have better film than Kyler Murray does this year. He was the Heisman Trophy winner for a reason. Uh, I, you know, I think the biggest knock on him is going to be his height, given that he's sub five foot ten. But if you put him in the right situation, much like Russell Wilson at Seattle, you put him in shotgun, you put him under center where he can be a part of the boot game or he can be in these deep seven-step drop play action pass games, you're far enough from the line of scrimmage where you don't have to worry about finding throwing lanes as a shorter quarterback. So um, there, there's ways of negating it and getting around his size. But the other question is, besides height, is his weight. He's 195. Will he be able to withstand 16 games starting in the NFL and some of the, the you know, brutal beating that you may take. And then there's the, the point of, like, this is a kid from, what, the state of Texas. You don't think that somewhere in his mind, if he can be a quarterback, that that, you know, from the time he was born and started playing sports, that doesn't prioritize itself over baseball. It, in my mind, it would. And I think, you know, going and riding on a, a minor league bus and all that would be very fun, you know, because if they were going to pay him that, <laughs> that huge contract they talked about potentially doing, he'd have to be on the 40-man roster. So maybe it's a little different story. Um but in my mind, I think you can always go football first, then baseball. You know, it would be tough to go baseball first, then come back to football, especially to sign a contract that's going to be valued somewhere in the first round because I do believe that's where he's going to get taken. So you think you agree our draft expert, Ryan Wilson, your friend, my friend Ryan, uh, believes that he will be a first-round pick, and you agree with that? You think How high? What's his ceiling? What's his floor in the first round? Uh, I, think his ceil- I, I think his ceiling's top ten. Wow. And I think his floor could potentially be somewhere in the top 40. So he could drop out of the first round and be somewhere in those those next, let's say, top eight picks uh, of the second round where someone's going to have to move up and take him if they pass on him in the first round. And that, again, has more to do with its height and people being concerned because you don't see many guys uh, starting and playing in the NFL that are sub 5'10". I mean, Russell Wilson is uh, sub 6 feet, but I believe he's closer to, what, 5'11". And it doesn't sound like much, but we were talking about a game that's built upon uh, or was talked about as being a game of inches. So uh, literally in this case, um, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about height, by the way, too. Nothing else besides that. Get your head out of the gutter, Brinson. I, I know you're talking about height. I'm, I'm laughing because I think that my driver's license, let's see if I got it on. Yeah, I got my driver's license on me. Let's see what it says. I bet it has some lie on here. Uh, let's see, Robert Williams Brinson, 5'9". Um, yep, yep, Do you think I'm 5'9", or is that a lie? probably a lie. Uh, I don't know. You know, the combine thing's interesting. If, if someone told me the other day, they're like, well, he's 5'9 and 7'8", so he's 5'10". I'm like, no, not how the NFL works. They round down. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know what exactly your measurement would be, but you might be around 5'9". I don't know if be accurate. I think the more interesting, you kind of buried the lead. Your name is Rob Williams. Rob, like, Robert Williams. Robin Williams. Like you could, Robert. Uh, so it not, can't not. be like Rob Williams. No, uh, wouldn't so that, oh my God, wouldn't that be awful if my name was Robin Williams? That'd be Brinson? amazing. <laughs> That'd be amazing. I'd be like the guy who, uh, the guy on Office Space who's, um, yeah, what's his, he's like, uh, what's, he goes, um, his name's Michael Bolton and he goes by Mike. <laughs> it's like, um, the, uh, yeah, uh, no, no talent ass clown. Yeah, there it is. Nice job. Um, the, the Kyler Murray thing is interesting too. You mentioned the top 40 part of it. There's a, actually a case to be made and it's a weird case, but it, that if you fall out of the first round, that it's not the end of the world because of the new CBA, which, which, you know, puts a fifth year option on first round picks. And while that fifth year option is a lot of money, it is an extra year of team control. And you saw it with a guy like Derek Carr. 
because and with Russell Wilson, you almost have to extend the guys who aren't first round picks earlier after their third season because you go to that fourth season and then you have to franchise tag them at twenty five million afterwards. And it makes more sense to hammer out the extension before the fourth year if they are a legitimate quarterback in the NFL. So I mean, it's not the end of the world if he didn't get drafted in the top thirty two picks. Just a just a thought there. Um, well, and you're actually making a case for you know him going to play baseball first, maybe taking a big contract if he wants to go that route, and then coming back and signing a league minimum deal if and when he would want to try to come back. And when someone brings him on, if he works his way into the lineup where he does start or impresses so much in the offseason that ends up being the guy, then really you're looking at extending him maybe after a year or two. So they've got that window for value, but they have to immediately start thinking, yeah, this dude signed to a three-year deal. we gotta, we got to start getting to him sooner rather than later. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, interesting. So you could go tank in baseball, then come back and play football, sneak into football with a, with a minimum deal and get that big money contract. It's not a crazy idea. Probably not going to happen. Scott Boris, that doesn't seem like a very Scott Boris approach. Uh, let's talk about these conference championship games, though. I'm curious of your thoughts. What um, Were you more right or more wrong about the teams in the divisional round? Because I was 100% wrong, and I know I talked to you before the games, and I just I don't remember what you said. I mean, I remember what you said. I don't. Uh, remember, I don't remember I was, your specific. Picks. I was. I was four zero in regards to my picks. And, wow. and I think the thing I was most surprised by is that the games were as far apart as they were. Um, I, I didn't see New England blowing out the Chargers uh, the way they did. I mean, they got off to a fast. So it was a thirty-five-seven and a half. Yeah. Completely dominated that game, and and I think the thing that we overlooked, or maybe that I overlooked, was. Gus Bradley was going to play similar personnel versus the Patriots, which doesn't make a ton of sense. It did versus Baltimore in the wild card round. But when you're playing your dime packages with six DBs or your seven DB package, which could have a, a myriad of names, uh, you're putting smaller personnel in the field. So what do you think the Patriots are going to do? They could still put their three wide receivers out there with a tight end like Gronk because they all block well. And they can say, you got a bunch of small guys in the field. We're just going to run the football with Sonny Michelle down your throat, and then we'll throw from time to time, too, and mix that in to stay balanced. But that's pretty much what you saw. And they dominated the game with that, uh, never really allowing Joey Bosa or Melvin Ingram to have an impact in the game. So I, uh, I thought that was pretty impressive by the Patriots. Well, I think the other thing you noticed was yes. – oh, go ahead. No, I was going to ask you as a follow-up on that. I'm curious, what is Bob? Cause, I mean, because like it was really annoying and stupid that Gus Bradley and Gus Bradley had a great year as the Chargers' defensive coordinator, but he ran, he played zone and allowed Julian Edelman to carve him up, and he didn't blitz anybody for the first half, and um, he did that seven DB package, and, and Tom, Tom Brady destroyed it. So, what do the Chiefs do to slow down the Patriots? Well, quickly, here's the thing that like you have to understand: Gus Bradley ran the same system they did in Jacksonville, the same system he ran last year with the Chargers when the Patriots beat him. It was the same system he ran back when he was in the Seattle Seahawks. It's post-high zone. It's man-to-man on the outside, and they switch off a lot of the crossing routes, but we're really playing more of a zone coverage on the interior, mostly post-high safety. So that's, that's, been the, that's been the scheme that they've gone against, whether it's been Gus Bradley or Dan Quinn when he was defensive coordinator with the Seahawks or, or head coach with the Atlanta Falcons. It's been the same thing. And, look, they've had success versus all of them. Yeah. So. Uh, it, it, it's been a very similar scheme and game plan they've gone up against, and that's one of the reasons why they had success. Now, Bob Sutton's not going to do that at all. He's more of a game plan-oriented defensive coordinator. Um, and I think the biggest difference is they have a better interior pass rusher in Chris Jones. So not only do you have Justin Houston, who didn't play in their first matchup in Week 6, right. uh, but you've got D Ford, who's playing 
like his hair's on fire in a contract year. And then Chris Jones, who's the second best interior pass rusher to Aaron Donald. So it's, it's a different mix of guys, and you don't have to bring pressure because you've got these matchup issues for most offensive lines. The question is going to be the coverage. And, and I would have said before the divisional round, man, that's, that's going to be in the favor of the New England Patriots. But when you look at how good they matched up last week versus the Colts, Maybe not so much. I mean, that was one of their better performances. Now, granted, they had two weeks to prepare for their opponent and rest and all that. Um, but I think it will be interesting to see how effective the secondary will be, uh, especially if Eric Berry is able to come back and play too. He's been practicing this week. We'll see if he can come back in that secondary and help add some additional coverage to Gronk, who did lead the team receiving uh, for the Patriots in that game, even though it was only uh, three receptions earlier this year. Um, okay, and what do – the Patriots do, cause the Patriots, again, you mentioned they, they piled up and they ran the crap out of the football. Um, it would seem to me, given the opponent and the Chiefs, um, have similar yardage allowed per game to running backs out of the backfield in terms of receiving. The Chiefs were very bad against the run, 32nd by advanced metrics, uh, against the run and, and really just the eye test and all that. They weren't good against the run. Uh, what, wh- how do the Patriots, um, you know, is it same, same sort of offensive approach here, play the run and, and try and try and win in a blizzard or I mean, what is it? What are you doing here? Well, the weather report, the keeps looking better and better in Kansas city. So I don't know if it's going to be as cold or as bad as we thought. Um, I don't know if that's going to change much of the game plan though, in the sense of they still want to run the football. I mean, you always want to stay balanced, but you also want to limit the amount of touches that Patrick Mahomes and this chief defense can, can have. I mean, look, if, if I was going to give you one bullet point on each side of the football, it'd be this. I think if you're looking at the, the Chiefs' defense, they're really trying to accomplish, I'll go back on my word, two things. Can't let Mahomes out of the pocket. He's hard enough as it is uh, to, to you know, keep in there. Um, but also when, when he, cre- you know, he creates and buys time, it makes it even more difficult to cover Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, who are incredibly athletic and have a lot of speed at each of their positions. Um, so they can't allow him out of the pocket. And the other thing is they're going to have to be really, really good with their disguise, their coverages, and when they choose to take a chance and blitz. Because it's either going to be blitz or drop eight or maybe some something in between at, at times. But th- that, that's going to be the deal. They're going to have to mix, and they're going to have to try to keep Patrick Mahomes in the pocket. That Pat's offense is going to have to run the football. But they're going to have to do a lot of you know what they're doing before and just long, methodical drives and not allowing those pass rushers to get involved uh, and then try to get the ball out of his hand quick try to utilize the screen game, try to utilize some of the mismatches on James White. Because he's the one guy that definitively you can say could be a game changer for them uh, with his mismatch, only because Gronk just hasn't been that healthy this year. And so unless all of a sudden he, he goes to the TB12 clinic and they give him some sort of special <laughs> tonic and he's going to look like a different player, uh, I, I think they're going to do a better job covering this time around. Unless they rub avocado oil all over his his back, he's probably in trouble. Yes, avocado yeah, oil. Yeah, his back. Yeah, his back with avocado oil. Um, I don't know why I'm saying that over and over again. Uh, defensively, the uh, the Patriots. You mentioned like you got to try and contain Patrick Mahomes. I, I again, I was floored that the Chargers just didn't change anything. Like just, just run a screen or or a, or a crosser route or anything. Ken wasn't hunt anything to make life. Philip Rivers check down into something other than a seven step drop and a deep pass. What is happening here? Uh, you can't do that against Patrick Mahomes, right? You can't go with the cover zero blitz party, right? Uh, no, I think you can. Oh. Actually, I, you know, I think if you, if you feel confident in your ability uh, to rally up and make tackles. 
yeah, you can. In fact, like a, a blitz zero look isn't the worst thing in the world only because here's what you know. You know you're going to have a free defender. You know he has to get the ball out of his hand quick. Mm-hmm. What you don't know is if he's going to make the right decision, and you don't know if your player is going to be able to make a tackle if they do complete it in space. And that's why you don't use it a lot versus the Kansas City Chiefs because you're concerned about that. And I think the one thing where you look at Patrick Mahomes uh, and go back to his days in college that you see a lot of in the Big 12, drop eight coverage. It happens more and more. You see more three-down sets and more teams that are drop eight. When if they do rush a fourth, sometimes they'll delay it. So they'll have their three-man rush, and they'll have a spy, or they'll have a guy kind of hang around the line of scrimmage and see if Mahomes is going to try to take off. And then once he, uh, you know, once the uncovered guard kind of declares or center in some cases, and once he goes to help or look for help on one side or the other, then that un- that fourth player will add to the rush and try to pressure the quarterback. So um, I-, I think that may be something that you see a little bit more too, along with a mix of coverages as well. All right, so uh, hit me with it. Who you got? Who's the Brady Quinn special? Chiefs minus three. I want you, you don't have to give me who you think will cover. Just give me a, a score total. Over under, I think it's back up to 55 and a half. Started at like 59, fell down to 54 and a half because of this weather now creeping back up. What do you think? Uh, what's the outcome in, 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 in Arrowhead on Sunday? As it currently hits, I think it hits the over. I think there's going to be enough points scored in this one for it to be competitive. I see the game going one of three ways. I, I do <laughs> think it's going to be tight. Um, but but I think if there's going to be a team that's going to win via a blowout, I think it's going to be the Chiefs. So, you know, that being said, you think that I'm, I'm going to lead with the Chiefs and that they're going to win this game. I couldn't, I cannot pick against the Patriots. Uh, I would kick myself next week when we talk again if that was the case, and I'm not going to do that now because I know their history. I know it's been eight straight to the AFC Championship, 13, 16 years, however many Super Bowl trips they've been on. It's just, it's hard for me to pick against a Belichick, Brady-led team. So I'm not going to. I think somehow the Patriots find a way of winning this game, but it will be close if they do win. Uh, I was trying to find this on Pro Football Reference while you were talking, and I couldn't do it because uh, you can't search. You can't uh, filter individual player games by temperature. What's the coldest game you ever played in? Uh, I guess college or pro because, man, it gets pretty frigging cold up there in uh, old, old South Bend. No, I, I played in a Thursday night game against the Pittsburgh Steelers in Cleveland, and that was the coldest game I believe I ever played in. I think with the wind chill, it might have been close to zero or maybe negative. Um, the, the temperature was definitely down in the low teens, if not single digits. Um, and, and I just remember the wind was howling. So that was the coldest game I ever played in. It was miserable. The wind was so bad in one direction, you it was really tough to throw against the wind. Uh, you almost had to just throw exclusively with the wind. And the reason why I say that is when it gets that cold, what becomes an issue is your grip because you can't feel your fingertips as well. Uh, you, could, you could put on a glove, but to be honest with you, unless you practice it a bunch, it's hard to put on a glove because it changes your release point. You know, Typically, they're pretty tacky, so you end up holding on the football a little bit longer. So when you first start throwing with the glove, you'll yank a lot of footballs into the ground because it's messing up where you're used to releasing the football. So you got to practice with it. you got to feel comfortable with it. And even that's not going to keep your hand warm enough. So uh, I was one where I always wore one on my offhand, didn't on my throwing hand, never felt comfortable with it. But then your hand gets numb. So you can't feel your fingertips when you grip the football. And that becomes tough when you combine it with wind because if you're not able to spin the football through the wind, it's going to knock it down. It's going to look like someone opened up half of your Christmas gift and then threw it into like someone's huge blow dryer. <laughs> and it's just going to get knocked down to the ground, uh, tumbling in pieces. So, 
uh, that's that's kind of how I'd compare it, or that's how I'd look at it. And it's you know I, I don't know if the wind's going to be that bad there from playing in Kansas City for a year. Uh, there could be somewhat of a swirling wind, so it just kind of depends. But that's how the coldness and wind will affect the passing game in this one. But yeah, I think that Thursday night game versus Pittsburgh is definitely the coldest I played in. You, you want to hear some fun facts about that Thursday night game against Pittsburgh that you played in that that I sure. I, I didn't play sure. in, but that you did. Uh, Ty, do you know how long it took you guys to play that game? Less than three hours. No, two, how long? Two hours and fifty six minutes. Let's get the hell out of here, boys. Uh, you guys didn't yeah. win. A, you didn't win a lot of games that year, but you won that one, thirteen to six over the yeah. Steelers. Uh, you put this team on your back. You went 16, 6 of 19 for 90 yards and, and toppled Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. I can't imagine. And, and in the temperature, this is what, like, you, you're underselling it. It was wind chill, negative 6, wind 25 miles an hour. I couldn't stand out in there in like, were you wearing like, like, were you wearing like, uh, like un- stuff under your uniform? What were you doing? Were you rocking long oh, underwear? Yeah. You were, you were the, you were the long tights, all that kind of stuff. You probably have your jacket on, you know. It wasn't as big as Tom Brady's jacket, um, but you know, the heat advantage, all that good stuff. But uh, it, it was not much you could do. And, and again, like it, not a great passing day, not not really fun to be a part of that. Um, but you know, again, it, it was like it was tough catching too. You know, there was a number of drops in that game that impacted. But we ran the football well enough. We didn't turn the football over. And for us, it was huge because we ended up knocking Pittsburgh out of the playoffs that year. So that was that's always a little added benefit to that sort of win. Yeah, and look, Ben. I mean, I'm, I'm joking about the percent. Like anytime you're in 25 mile an hour wind, negative six degrees, you're not going to complete a bunch of passes. Ben Roethlisberger also not a very good day. Um, had uh, barely creeped over 200 yards. By the way, they didn't give you enough help in Cleveland that year, Brady. Uh, great guys that you played with: Jerome Harrison, Josh Cribbs, Muhammad Masakwai, Chancey Stuckey, former Clemson star. But come on, give Brady some help, Cleveland. What the hell was that about? Uh, that it was uh, Eric Mangini's uh, by design. So you can uh, talk to Eric Mangini about that. Well, maybe he'll be doing a media rounds at the uh, the uh, Super Bowl. So we can talk to him on HQ or something like that. All right. The other game, Saints and Rams, weather, not a factor. It's in the Dome in New Orleans. Uh, on uh, Did you – I take it you had the Rams and the uh, the Saints winning in your picks. I, I, I don't know what the hell I was thinking with the Rams Cowboys thing. I sort of got fell in love with the Cowboys for like the first time all year. And it was so dumb because Sean McVay, master genius of the world, had two weeks to prepare and the Cowboys hadn't seen this Rams offense in terms of the linebackers following all the eye candy and stuff like that. And it just completely perplexed them. How much does having seen the Saints, or how much is it the Saints having seen the Rams already help New Orleans prep for this Rams offense? Well, I, here's the thing is they've actually seen each other twice this year. Week four preseason in oh, New Orleans. Wow, great lost call. that one the Rams did 28 nothing, 45-35 in week nine. Uh, and that game was closer, by the way, than the score indicated. Um, so the Rams haven't had any success there in New Orleans. So it's their third trip to NOLA. Uh, and we'll see, we'll see what you know, what's going to be the difference this time around that's going to help either the Rams win for the first time or um, the, the Saints will continue to be dominant. I mean, a couple of things you have to identify is first time around, Noah keeps leave. Why is that significant? Well, Michael Thomas went off for 12 receptions for 211 yards. I think Wade Phillips will have a different game plan from a coverage standpoint this time. Dante Fowler just joined the team from Jacksonville. It was his first game as an L.A. Ram, he is really settled in now as a legitimate edge rusher. And I think that's become even more impactful. And it's helped out the coverage, too, uh, with, with his pass rushing ability. So uh, that's one of those changes. If you're looking at the Saints, 
Uh, you have to take into account that Sheldon Rankins isn't going to be there. Yep. He's a big-time game-changer in the interior as far as the pass rush, second on the team in sacks, also good against the run. It's one of the reasons why Demario Davis, A.J. Klein, and Alex Anzalone have been so good this year for him. So they could very, very much miss him. Onyemata did a decent job subbing in last week. We'll see if he can hold the fort down this week. And then, you know, you're looking at, uh, a, a, a Saints team that's got Andrews Pete playing with, uh, I believe he had surgery on his hand. Didn't look great last week, part of it because he's playing through so much pain, obviously not 100%. Uh, that's never good when you're working against the defensive front with Michael Brockers, uh, Adopik <laughs> and Sue, uh, Aaron Donald, and then uh, Dante Fowler, just to name a few. So we'll, we'll see how the battle of the trenches works out because going back just quickly capping on last weekend, what we noticed was teams that got rest Worked out pretty well for them. For whatever reason, we feel like teams build momentum in the wild card round. Newsflash, they don't, okay? They don't build momentum. They just get more beat up. <laughs> They're already beat up as it is after 16 games over 17 weeks. So you're going into week 19 now thinking that's momentum. It's not. So we learned our lesson there. I think we realized these are the four best teams uh, squaring off. Um, and, and so now it's going to be interesting to see who wins the, the battle at the line of scrimmage in this matchup only because I thought the Rams dominated the defensive front uh, for the Cowboys. And then obviously Sue, uh, Sue and, and Donald had their way with the interior of the offensive line uh, for the Dallas Cowboys, stymieing Zeke Elliott's rushing attack. And on the flip side, you look at the Saints. Even though I, even though they struggled early in those first two drives, they got it together defensively after that, really settled in. And, and their offensive line played well enough versus a defense that, you know, didn't have Fletcher Cox for the entire game, but he played a part. Bennett was in there as well. It was kind of in and out to get banged up. But either way, they got the job done. They did good enough, and that's all that matters. So I, I think this matchup is really going to come down to who wins at the line of scrimmage. And, and I give the edge to New Orleans. I think if, if the Rams can't run the football the way they have with Todd Gurley and ah, C.J. Anderson, please, it's okay. uh, it, it, it could end up being a long day for Jared Goff. What are right, so, what – Two, I got two questions about the quarterbacks here. One with uh, with Jared Goff, who you mentioned. It's, I mean, this he hasn't been great. He was he was he was fine against the Cowboys. I mean, he made throws when he needed to. It was a messy track out there. It rained. You know, we talked about the weather in Kansas City, but it poured in, in Los Angeles. The game still managed to go over, and there were a lot of points. Uh, but but golf wasn't great, and he's. I mean, look, he hasn't been great on the road all year. The Rams haven't been as good on the road. He he hasn't ever played a road playoff game. I mean, this is his third playoff start in just his you know his third year. Uh, but both of them were at home, and so now his first road playoff game is a conference championship in New Orleans. I mean, is that is that one where a guy? Even with his, you know, he's a pretty cool head with a great, smart head coach. I mean, isn't, I mean, isn't that a, that's sort of a, you're, you're getting tossed in the deep end here, pal, situation, right? Yeah, it's never fun to have your first, uh, being played in this manner, right? I wish it was the wild card round or something else. Right. But in this case, you know, I, I think I, I look at it and think, again, if he's got the ability to hand the football off a few times and have some, you know, productive games, move the sticks. He'll be fine, and they're going to base some stuff off flash and pass, and I'm sure Sean McVay will have some easy completions built in early, especially versus a defense that's given up some yards in the passing game. So I, I think that's going to showcase early on. But if he gets off to a, a rocky start, uh, I, I wouldn't be, I'm telling you, I wouldn't be surprised if the Saints don't pounce and don't jump on them. You better believe Sean Payton saying we can't start off slow like we did last week versus the Eagles. This is a different team. It's a different animal with the Rams. We can't start off slow like that. We've got to figure a way of jumping out to a lead. 
and, and taking care of business. Yeah, I mean, like if, you know, the Eagles were up 14 nothing, and were it not for a Marshawn Lattimore interception followed by a very, very ballsy fake punt by, by Sean Payton that I wasn't surprised by, uh, despite its ballsiness. Uh, you know, maybe the, maybe the Eagles are, are up even more. The Rams are a team where if they get up 14 nothing on you, you know, the Eagles couldn't run the ball at all. The Rams will lean on that offensive line, lean on Todd Gurley, and they were opening up massive holes against the Cowboys. Uh, with Breeze, are you, with what you saw from him, because he missed two obvious touchdown throws, Brady. Are you worried that yeah. Drew Brees' age is happening? Are we? I mean, I, I, I don't. He didn't look as crisp as he has. He just didn't look as crisp throughout the whole game against the Eagles. Whether it was pressure or whether it was just throwing the ball down the field. I mean, to me, both he and Tom Brady looked a little off in terms of throwing their deep ball uh, in that divisional round. He looked shook. There's no other way of putting it. Wow. Like he, after he threw the interception, that under underthrown ball, he just had this look on his face that like something didn't look right. Uh, something looked off in his game or, I don't know, personally something was going on, but something didn't look right. And, you know, he ended up settling in, and I think it, it largely, you know, helps out when you can, you can run a, a fake punt in your own territory on fourth and inches or whatever, fourth and a foot, fourth and one. That helps, you know, create that spark for you. But, I, it, really, I mean, he, he didn't – something looked off for him. And I think maybe it's just the fact that he just turned 40. He realizes this is probably close to the end. This might be his last opportunity at getting back to this point. I mean, besides last year, when you think you've got that game wrapped up in Minnesota, Marcus Williams takes a bad angle. Next thing you know, Stephon Diggs is running the end zone. There, there goes your chance at trying to go to the FC Championship game. So I think he realizes the end's coming sooner rather than later. And there's a lot of pressure that comes with that especially when you start off a game, you know, thinking positive thoughts, going over, um, you know, the, the scripted plays in your <laughs> mind before walking through them all week in practice. And then your first throw ends up being an interception. Yeah. Like that's not the way you want to start off with. And so I think that can toy with you mentally. And then the one thing every single quarterback battles, doesn't matter how good they are, doesn't matter how old they are, how experienced they are, is they all battle their, their themselves and their mind. That short-term memory, the ability to move on from a negative play, and then forget about it, learn from it, forget about it, but move on to the next play. Everyone battles with that more so than anything else. Mm, good stuff. All right, we'll get you out of here on this. You get to pick one taco that you will eat for the rest of your life. Choose the shell, the meat, and the toppings. What would your taco be? Oh, my gosh. Um, that wasn't in the show, let's prep. See. The I, show I would. Prep. I would go – I would go um, – I would go with a corn tortilla, but it's got to stay together. You know, the soft ones kind of fall apart a little bit. I don't like but something about the corn flavoring. Yeah, you can go crunchy corn. I like crunchy corn. No, no, get off, get off me with the crunchy corn. I hate right. that crap. Right, it's got to be a flour or corn tortilla. Yeah, okay. you got to go with soft. Come on, man. There's a reason why it's soft tacos. They wouldn't have invented them if they weren't better than the crunchy ones. <laughs> crunchy ones clearly came first. So you got it's that, fair. and you've got to go. You've got to go with like a uh, carnitas or some sort of barbacoa or ground beef, right? Like some sort of beef, something with that can hold the flavor and hold the juice. Give me some like lettuce, tomato, cheese, some salsa, some jalapenos. Um, what else? Well, let's throw some guac on there. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else you can throw in it. Maybe it, beans is a little bit too much. You're I'm not approaching. Sure that's gonna work you're, out, but you did. You're approaching burrito status here. It's like all right, some beans and some rice. Oh, are you going as much? And, and, and I don't know that that dancing burrito would be moving around as much as that taco was at a press conference. So, 
That's the only issue there. Uh, all right. I want whatever Adam Gay said before my tacos. Uh, tweet us your talk. Tweet us your favorite taco. Brady Quinn is at three rd underscore goal. I'm at Will Brinson. You can tweet the Pick Six Pod uh, with your taco thoughts if you want, or your football thoughts. And uh, we got only three games left in the season, Brady. And we'll talk to you next week after two of them are over. Sounds good. Enjoy the games. Enjoy those tacos. <laughs> I mean.